Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 on the Faith FM network, maybe on the internet, wherever you are. It is a beautiful, sunny uh, Monday morning here in Newcastle where we're uh, broadcasting from. And sitting across from me, we've got our host for today. <laughs> <laughs> See, Lawson's the boss this morning. That's right. That's so this is Lyle, <laughs> yep. the co-host. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Lawson decided he wanted to be boss this morning, so I'm like, "Yeah, go ahead, you, you, you be lead host." That's fine, Daddy. That, that I'm, I am all right with that. Hey, hey, Lyle, what are you grateful we need, for? We need, to swap, we need to swap chairs. You're in the wrong chair. No, you know what? I'm asserting my dominance <laughs> by staying in this chair. It's uh, this is the new. Okay, so I have I have something super exciting to talk about today that oh, I'm so thankful awesome. for for the very first time. In the history of us living in our house, our dining room has a floor that doesn't slope dramatically from one side to the other. That is amazing. It is. You have no idea. You almost, you walk in there and you feel like tripping over. It's just like, why am I not going downhill right now? <laughs> why, why am I not walking to the left as mm-hmm. I cross this room? Uh-huh. And what did it take? Did you have to like rip up all the floor and... R- r- rip, ripped up a bunch of floorboards, put a couple of jacks under it. Put the rattle gun on the jack. Uh, up went the floor. Just like that. Dude, okay, you can come and fix my floor now. <laughs> we moved into a really old house too, and down the bottom in our living room, it, it's like a it's like a it's like a disabled ramp. Like it's steep, bro. Right? Like, <laughs> we had a uh, we had a six inch drop in about three meters. Wow. Yeah, so, so it was very significant, significant sloping hiking boots to get from one side to the other. <laughs> This is an expedition across the yes. lounge room. Yes. So we haven't straightened the kitchen yet, but the dining room has a straight floor. Oh, let's go. A that's level it. floor. It's just amazing. And how you're living in a new new existence. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Lawson, what have we got for positively different news this morning? Okay, so I read this story this morning, and I think it's simultaneously the coolest yet interesting yet kind of pointless thing I've ever seen, and I'm going to point out why. So um, property developers in uh, California have made a new building type that they're calling the the agri-hood building. And essentially what this is, is a in an apartment, co- it's in a, like a city apartment complex uh, that ha- has around 360 units in it. Uh, you know, a hundred and one hundred and eighty-one of this. So the big focus with this is they want to make this mixed-income housing that can get low socioeconomic people and you know elderly people and whatnot in, as well as people who can afford housing in that specific market. And so they've they've come up with this plan for mixed-income apartment buildings that have attached to it a one-point-five-acre farm. Nice. Uh, in the middle of the city. Yes. So they're currently building one in Santa Barbara in, in California. And you'd have to imagine even if it's a mixed income housing in California, particularly in an area like Santa Barbara, it's still going to be like even the under market price units are going to be worth a ton because it's like one of the most expensive areas to live in the world. Um, but I was reading this. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You're bringing a farm to the city. What they do is like the apartment complex is, itself have people that work in the farm and then they sell the produce to the people in the housing for like at a super low rate you can also be involved in working in the farm and receive you know this is gonna be very good for people's mental health oh dude it's fantastic but ultimately i read this and i'm like 
this is this is great. This is a very innovative idea. But why doesn't everyone just move to the bush? That would be a much better <laughs> idea. <laughs> Zach, <laughs> you know, why why live in a you know a, a vertical human filing cabinet when you can I just go. You can live in the bush. It's- well, the thing is, I'd move to the bush right now if I could afford it. Well, we live. This is there, a thing. there is that thing. There we live in thing. Australia. Yes, like where we have lots of bush. We have lots of bush, but not many houses, even when they're in the bush. Like yes. you know, whereas in the United States, like you've got California, which has a very very expensive um, housing market, but you can move into the bush for cheap. I haven't looked at the uh, real estate. Situation in California. I wouldn't. Say, I wouldn't necessarily say in California. California is a tough one because it's just so expensive to live. You know, it's kind of like you got New York on one side, California on the other side, and the price of everything there is really expensive. But hey, like I don't know, move on down to Arizona, up to Washington. Mm, Arizona is a good state, dude. Move to one of these areas, like just like one step inland. Yes, you know, until like I would say Arizona is kind of like a semi flyover state. And then, bam, like, you can live in the bush for cheap as. Like, that's that's the kind of place where it's, like, you can get, like, a, you know, a two-story house with four bedrooms for, like, 300 grand or whatever, like, where it's, like, super cheap, where everyone points is, like, yeah, living I, in America. Is, up like, in Wisconsin, where sh- my wife comes from, where Producer Shell comes from, you know, you can buy a house up there for $40,000. Exactly. The bush living you know, right 20, there. 250000 will give you 40 acres. Numerous sheds, big house, you know. And this is the thing, like, I understand. Near like, a lake. Oh, but, hey, what about those people who want to live in Santa Barbara, but they, you know, they're making this mixed income housing so that, that more people can afford it and whatnot. But then it's like the target demographic for the mixed income housing is, whilst it's um, partially for those from, like, low socioeconomic areas, it's like for elderly and retired people and vets and stuff. It's like, you don't need to live in Santa Barbara for work or whatever, dude. Just move to the bush. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, that's it's it's a really cool idea. And I feel like, um, yeah, it's something that is definitely going to be move beneficial. To the bush, if you can't move to the bush, then this is This your, is your next closest that's thing. That's right. This and we need to have this kind of thing because, hey, there's lots of people who can't. That's right. And it's also but it should be like, everybody's aim. It should be if 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 you know your one goal in life. I've been enlightened. I've been changed. By moving to the bush. And I know that it should be our goal in life to move to the bush. <laughs> Guys, it's so great. Hey, I got another story here. Very interesting. Um, it's about white gold. And by white gold, I mean the snow that falls on the Alps in Switzerland. Okay. Um, so Switzerland's snow industry is worth like $5 billion a year. Ooh. Like it's one of the most high-end, expensive snow tourism industries in the world. Like so much bigger than, you know, straight. Like we talk about Australia and Threadbow and all the people that flock there and how it's so limited, it's but it's pretty lame compared nothing. to Europe. Like Switzerland is is really something else. It's like in terms of its exclusivity and its like high end stuff. Like it is the spot. Um, and currently, you know, they've kind of over the last couple of years getting more and more worried about the consistency of of snowfall and how all that's going to play out and which is something that if you've ever been to the snow i, I know that I, i've been to the snow a couple of times you're always thinking about oh you need to go on the perfect weekend and you can make that crucial mistake of going when there's no snow falling and then it's a really rough experience literally because there's just ice everywhere and you 
crash your snowboard and hurt yourself. Um, but they're like, how do we protect, you know, our snow season in Switzerland so that everyone who comes and pays an exorbitant amount of money to ski down these slopes and stay at these awesome resorts? Don't they just use snow machines? No. So, well, that's the thing. You can use snow machines, but like snow machines can only do so much. Sure. And, and the snow just melts. And like the snow that snow machines make, isn't like that fresh powder that comes from the sky. You know? <laughs> no substitute for the real stuff. That, that's right. That's right. Um, so what they're doing now is they're just putting blankets on the mountains. Okay. To keep them cold. Right. They put white blankets on the mountain. It diffuses the sunlight. Yes. And well, then you peel the blanket off and go skiing and then put the blanket back on again. That's right. They've covered like uh, their in terms of their like ski fields and whatnot. They've covered a hundred thousand square meters um, in polyester fleece, you know, on their main runs and hills. And, and they want to just pull them back off again in the morning. Go skiing. Yep. What happens if you get a massive snowstorm overnight and you can't you get your blankets back up? Well, obviously they can see that forecasted. And they'll be like, oh, we've got huge snowfall coming. We'll, we'll roll up our blankets. It must be a lot of work to print all those blankets out. Yeah, that's right. That's a lot of this, blankets. But hey, if you're making $5 billion a year, yeah, like yeah, this you is can like, afford to. you know, obviously there is a, you know, they're, they're kind of citing a little bit of a, a climate change twist on this. They're saying, hey, we can't just rely on the snowfall anymore. We're, we're having some problems with snowfall. And they're like, say, hey, you know, this melting. But at the, at, like when I when I read this story, I say, "Hey, they're they're protecting their investment here. This is a huge industry, uh, and they're just chucking blankets on it, which is kind of counterintuitive. You're usually getting under blankets in the cold to to heat uh-huh. yourself up, but no, heat diffusing blankets is is yep. the way of the future when yep. it comes to absolutely snowfall. it works. And fi- hey, final story I have here to do with snow and cold things and traveling. Um, two days ago uh, on Saturday marked the 100 year anniversary of Ernest. Shackleton leaving London Ooh. to go to uh, Antarctica. Antarctica. Anna Shackleton, one of the greatest explorers of all time. I did a year- greatest rescue story ever told, oh, as well as well. Just incredible stuff. They are um, honouring him with a uh, an exhibition in the South Georgia Heritage Trust area. This is you know in England, but yeah, like that is a fantastic. I don't have the you know time to talk about it now, but that is like you could just talk about how amazing that. Is. I did a project yes. in year four. I, I have a whole sermon about this story. About Ernest Shackleton. Oh, yes. So good. Yes. It's so good. And it was a crucial mission as well, just not only in terms of it being an amazing rescue story, but, you know, the amount of research they did, mapping the coast of of Antarctica as well. So really awesome stuff, honouring him at the moment. Well, I certainly learned a lot about survival and how to <laughs> uh, put up with harsh conditions. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Oh, current news, what's going on? Okay, so we've got a whole bunch of small stories here. Let's work through them. Uh, Brian Houston has just stepped down from all of the Hillsong boards. Oh. Um, and, of course, okay. this is uh, due to accusations of concealing his father's uh, child abuse. Uh, it is alleged that he knew about the abuse of a child in the 1970s and did nothing about it. Mm. And he also denies knowing about a $10,000 compensation uh amount of money that was paid to the victim of abuse. Wasn't he the head of the board? Yeah, you would. (laughs) 
I kind of have my questions here. I kind of have yeah. my questions, and I guess the police have their questions as well. And so as a result of that, he stepped down from all of those boards, which mm. is the appropriate thing to do mm. when there are criminal proceedings taking place. That's right. And uh, really not much choice there. So, yeah, watch this space. Um, and, hey, may all of these court cases end up in making our churches a better and a safer That's place. That's right. Regardless of what happens and regardless of what the outcome is, Let's pray that they all make our churches a better place. Okay, mm. so photos and videos are starting to come out of Afghanistan. Of course, there are still people pouring out of the uh, borders into Pakistan, into mm. Tajikistan, and uh, across into Iran. And they're bringing with them photos, videos uh, on their on their mobile phones, etc. And we're starting to see the massacres taking place as predicted. Wow. Uh, groups of anywhere between 30 and 40 people at a time that are simply being executed. So basically anyone who worked with the United States, anyone who worked with other Western countries, Yikes. anyone who worked with uh, non-government organizations, and kind of anyone who's not a Sunni Muslim. So Shia Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists. This is how you create a... Islamic utopia. And they said it wouldn't happen. Yeah, and, and, and it's it, happening. And it's happening. And oh, it's happening. Man. I, and, you know, even if the leadership says it won't happen, and if the, if, even if the leadership doesn't sanction it, do they have the ability to be actual, actually be able to control hmm. uh, the, the population, you know, the, that portion of the population that wants, for, wants it and has been fighting for it? And this is the thing. I feel like the, the leadership... If the leadership has like isn't sanctioning it, then why is it happening? Yeah, like that's that's the ultimate thing. You know, what? what like the Taliban, as much as they're as religious well, extremists, hey, how much of how much of a, how much control do they really have over the country at this stage? But, but this is the thing. Okay, it, it, this, the Taliban is as much as an extreme, you know, radical religious organization as they are a fighting force. And if they're a fighting force, like they have hierarchy. And they have chain of command and obviously... All those things, all those things. And it's like, so if if the people at the top are like, oh, no, this is bad, stop doing it, well, then they can say that and they would stop, but they're not. And it's, this. I don't know, it's just sad. Anyway, uh, Darren's just texting in on the story about Brian Houston. He says, there is no excuse for not reporting suspected abuse. Yeah, wow. Such a good point. No excuse, especially when you're in a position of power. Mm-hmm. So there's a warning there for all of us. If you know of something or you suspect something, you need to report it. Mm. Anyway, uh, going back to uh, what we were talking about, let's see. Uh, new legislation has been proposed in the United States um, that is part of the budget reconciliation legislation in which – now, listen to this. Uh, the following – will need to be reported. All banking inflows, all bank accounts, all financial institutions have to be involved of any amount of either a debit or credit of $600 okay. in a 12-month period. Okay, wait. So, so if you have a bank account and more than $600 passes either into it or out of it in a 12-month period, then the entire bank account and everything that happens in that bank account is automatically reported to the ISS, IRS. So previously, you needed to get a warrant or you needed to get a subpoena to be able to get um, people's banking records. Uh-huh. Now, it's just mandatory reported, everything across the board. And this isn't... Straight to the IRS. For, for every single person. Every single person. Okay. So, so they can just look at everything you do. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, China doesn't even do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
They, they just know now. <laughs> like, pretty, they just know. Pretty wild stuff. Mm. Um, all right, what else have we got here for stories this morning? We have um, Yom Kippur, mm. new rules for Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur is also na- known as the cleansing of the sanctuary or the Day of Atonement. Yeah. And this is one of the most uh, major festivals in the Jewish calendar. Mm. Um, and the Bible says that at Yom Kippur you are supposed to afflict yourselves. Now, when you read that in the book of Leviticus, it has clear reference to a time of heart-searching. Mm. The problem is that when you start adding rules to the Bible, it becomes quite problematic because you can say, oh, afflict yourself, what does that mean? And mm. then you start making up your own rules. And that's not what we should be doing. And then you end up with rules that you have to rescind, mm. which kind of makes you look a little bit silly. Um, and so some of the afflict yourself rules include washing, eating, drinking, sex, comfortable shoes, uh, massage or rubbing oil on your skin or other lotions, etc. So you're not allowed to do any of these kinds of things on Yom Kippur. Okay. The problem is that there is this thing called washing. Now, of course, they did make a loophole around this when we started to learn you know, more about hygiene and they said, okay, you can wash your fingers, but that's all, but not your hands. Uh-huh. If you need to use the bathroom, etc., you're allowed to wash your fingers. Uh-huh. But now, of course, we have COVID, so <laughs> we've had to rescind that one as well. So new rules for Yom Kippur. Um, you know, we kind of laugh about it, but d- there are Jewish people who take this very, very seriously. Yeah, of course. And, but this is the problem when you step outside of the Bible. Mm. You know, I'd like to encourage all of my Jewish pe- Jewish friends and Jewish listeners to, you know, actually read the book of Leviticus and do what that says mm. rather than adding extra stuff to it. Yeah, that's right. We don't need to add any extra anything extra to um, what the Bible has to say. Mm. All right. This is a uh, interesting story coming out of the United States. And so recently we had, of course, you know, Haiti's had a lot of upheaval. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. And the question is, what happens when you have one of the poorest countries in the world and you offer unlimited immigration to one of the wealthiest countries of the world? Okay. No questions asked. Uh Uh-huh. And a very poor country that's just been smashed by an earthquake and civil unrest and assassinations mm. and is the kidnapped capital. You know, you could go on and on and on and on. And, on. And, and so basically what was happening is that, you know, a lot of people coming illegally into the United States from Haiti. And, you know, if you're a legal immigrant, you get deported. And so Joe Biden said, okay, the country's in trouble right now. So we are going to end all deportations of Haitians. Mm-hmm. When he did that, there was about 900 people who were lined up to be deported and every single one of them uh, simply sent the message back. It spread like wildfire through Haiti. Now, of course, you can only come in through Mexico. And so pretty much anyone who could afford an airfare to Mexico got has, has just headed into Mexico. The planes are, are, are chockers. There are now 10,500 Haitians living under a bridge in Del Rio in the United States and drone footage has another 10,000 moving in the direction of that bridge because what are you going to do with that kind of an influx of numbers? You just can't handle that. So this is what, a this is this a humanitarian is a, this crisis. Is a crisis. This is a massive humanitarian crisis. What are they going to do? Are they going to help these people? Like- well, eventually, but when you've already got, you know, one and a half million Mexicans that have crossed the border um, in the last six months... Everything's like so far beyond maximum capacity. There's no facilities left. There is literally no facilities left. And they're living under a bridge. They're living under a bridge. 
Wow, what a life. <laughs> yeah, so it's oh. pretty... I mean, hey, living under a bridge in, in uh, Del Rio is probably... Not that dissimilar to what they were living after the earthquake hit Haiti because yeah, wow. it smashed the place. Mm. You know, we, we talked to John Boston about that recently, but we need to pray for Haiti and we need to pray mm. for the US because this is just a disaster and people are suffering. Mm. And we need to find out good solutions for helping people so that they can help themselves uh, to improve their lives. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now, but joining us on the phone at this particular point is Christian from Victoria to share his journey of faith. Christian, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are we? Yeah, doing well. Thanks, Christian. Now, uh, just just a little bit of background. Um, you're doing Bible work in Victoria, and we're going to come to that in a moment. Going, super interested to find out how Bible work works during lockdown. You've certainly had uh, plenty of lockdown there in Victoria, but. Uh, Christian, I want to hear your 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 story, your journey, um, how you came to know the Lord. Did you come from a, a, a Christian background, a Christian family? Is that uh, is that your background? Yes, yeah. My dad came to the church through reading a great controversy many years ago, and so I was born into a Seventh Day Adventist home. And um, but as we grew up, uh, we sort of we sort of wavered from church a bit, um, kind of hot and cold, on and off, uh, but. The, I was always attending um, Seventh Day Adventist schools, so that was really that was really sowing seeds into my life. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as I as I reached um, teenager years, I we stopped going to church altogether and went to normal schools, and yeah, really, really uh, walked away from Christ at, at probably from the age of twelve. Right. Mm. What was it that changed then? And well, I guess. This whole time, uh, you're living in Victoria or other parts of Australia? Yeah, just in Victoria, yeah. Um, well, I guess as kids, we you know followed our parents. So um, I think, you know, I can't really speak for them, but, um, you know, it, life changed for them. So we, we just followed them and we sort of stopped going to church. Sure. Um, but... I think when I when I was um, later in my teenage years, around year twelve, really struggling to find out who I was and things like that, I ended up um, really um, walking a dangerous path and found myself using drugs. Mm. Mm. Right, and when, you know, you starting to use drugs, hard drugs, or just sort of starting? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I ended up using hard drugs, um, and. Before I got baptized in 2018, December 2018, um, there was quite a few dark years there where I, I was homeless. I couldn't see my daughter. Um, I was using um, ice. I was, a, I was a meth addict. Um, yeah, I was a criminal as well. I was, um, I was, I was hanging around a lot of bad people. But there was, um, there was a couple of, uh, yeah, just. Really bad people, mm. um, and you know, I I realized that I was at rock bottom. It took a few rock bottoms before I got there. I believe through intercessory prayer um, and the Holy Spirit really speaking to my heart, I found myself in that place where I could ask God um, if He was real and if He was out there um, for help. You know, I was facing jail or I was facing death. And um, so one day I did that, and he did. He answered my prayer straight away. 
I, f- I felt his presence. I felt warm. I felt safe, and I felt happy. Um, and that brought me to tears. And um, things got worse, but um, God was looking out for me. I'd have an attempt made on my life, and um, but God kept me safe, and He put me into a safe place where I could recover and uh, start the healing process. And during that time. He would show me things on YouTube like Walter Weiss and Dennis Preeby. Now, I didn't know who these people were, but when I looked them up, I realized, wow, these are people from the church that I used to go to as a kid and from the schools that I went to. So I got to see his providence and him working in my life. And I really started to search. And, yeah, so I went to church, um, got baptized, and now I work for Yarra Valley Church and Warburton. Adventist Church as a Bible worker. Yeah, that's a fantastic outcome from a uh, a very bad story, or a, a very a very sobering story, I should say. Mm. You know, I find it interesting. You, you you're going to church, you're going to a Christian school, and life is going well. You stop going to church, you stop going to a Christian school, and life goes very very badly. There's sort of a big mm. contrast, isn't there? The devil has no love yeah. for his own, and you know, it's one of those things that I've often said. I've seen I've seen a lot of people. You know, turn their life into a complete train wreck, but I've yet to meet somebody who has destroyed their life by becoming a follower of Jesus. Amen. That's so true. And as one of those things, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the devil studies us, I believe, that he has the perfect temptation for each of us. And uh, when you're young, you might think that you're you're smart and you might be able to risk the temptations, but um, that's dangerous ground if you don't take Jesus Christ with you. Mm, indeed, mm. indeed. It's one of those things that always sort of fascinates me when I see, you know, people that give their life to Jesus Christ and t- start to turn their life around and their friends and their family turn on them and, and I'm like, why? You know, this person is becoming, you might not agree with what they believe, but they're becoming a better person because of it. So why would you be, you know, concerned or upset by it? Tell me, Christian, mm. um, you mentioned that you were um, deeply addicted to ice, um, unable to see your daughter involved in criminal activity, um, death or jail being, or possibly both being the, the 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 two outcomes that you were facing. How did you deal with the drug addiction itself? Um, well, it was hard. I was I was using every day, and I was using a lot every day, and um, <clears throat> I. I couldn't go into rehab. Um, there's like a three-month wait um, just to get into detox. So they, they pretty much tell you if you're a bloke, the only way to get clean is to go to jail. Um, so the system's really just chock-a-block. Um, and again, it was it was God um, using me, putting me in a place where I, I couldn't easily access public transport and... Um, really looking after me during those times. Um, I used to find it hard um, and ask God to give, give me the strength to say no because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make that decision. But I soon realized that actually it is, I am able to say no and I do have the, the strength to say no. And once we say no, he then strengthens us to resist the temptation because if he, you know, if he gave us this, um, took the ability away, we wouldn't we wouldn't have free will or free choice. Mm. Yeah, and it it was it was good to learn that 
Um, and it, it strengthened me being able to say no. Christian, there's a big jump from uh, being a drug addict and addicted to ice to being a Bible worker. Praise God. How did, yeah. how did that come about? I just felt that I was... I just felt I was safe to serve. Mm. Um, seeing how God continued to keep me safe and kept me protected, and I just didn't feel deserving of it um, because of the person I was, and um, and how as I started to grow and love Jesus more and more, um, I just felt the desire and urge to to give something back. There's nothing that I can offer him, um, and my life isn't mine anymore. He bought my life at a price, and so I just try to um, give that back to him, allow him and the Father to, to lead out in every day of my life, whatever it be. And so I just I try to, um, yeah, allow him to work through me. Mm. With becoming a Bible worker, did you do a course of, in, in, in preparation to do that, you know, something like a RISE or, or, or that kind of a, a program, or is this just something that uh, was um, recognised in your church that this guy has a calling and he has the talents and abilities, so let's get him started? Well, I there was a Bible work at Warburton and I was really eager to... Um, study the word. So I started going with him and, um, you know, learning off him and reading along, um, the studies. And, uh, then I did the harvest training in Victoria. Um, and that was good. Um, I would like to do the arise one. And, um, but yeah, just, it, it came available to me. Um, God impressed it upon my heart and here I am just, just going, sharing the word with people. And it is hard, um, especially through lockdowns. It's quite tricky. I can imagine it would be. I want to come back and talk about that in, in, in just a moment. Tell us a little bit about the Harvest Training Course. Um, that was a, a weekend training course, I believe, in 2019. And it was the guys from It Is Written from America. And um, they it's an intensive course where they teach you how to go door-to-door and um, pray with each other and how to share the gospel, and that's um, that was quite a blessing to to see that weekend and see see God working um, through through just such a small um, weekend. The amount of people that and positive responses you get. Mm. Tell us about your daughter. Have you been able to? Um, you know, obviously, you've, your daughter comes from a period of your life where you're in in difficult circumstances and really struggling with stuff. Uh, are you able to? Is she able to be a, a consistent part of your life these days, and and uh, able to go to church with you and and that kind of thing as well? Yeah, yep. Yeah. So she's. Um, I have her full time now. Wow, Again, um, God is able to um, repair all the relationships, and through that. Um, my parents ended up coming back to church and which has been a blessing. Um, and my sister-in-law has been reading the Bible and, um, praying and studying. And, um, so many things have happened since, um, just the domino effect that is, you know, quite amazing to see and quite a blessing. Yeah. Praise God. Fantastic. 
Now, of course, you've 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 launched into Bible work, and uh, pretty much for the last year and a half, we've been dealing with on and off lockdowns, and and particularly down in Victoria. Tell us how that has affected your work as Bible work, and has have you have you come up with ways of working around the lockdown and still being able to reach out and share Jesus with people? Yep. So um, through lockdowns, you can't go door to door, which is one of the main ways. Um, Bible workers get out there. Um, so for Yarra Valley Church, I've um, I've been a part of the Happy Hands program on a Tuesday, and I've been a part of the Fresh Food program on a Friday. And it's just amazing to see how God uses these ministries, um, and He'll bring people to you. Um, nine times out of ten, when I'm down the shops buying groceries, I'll see someone, and they'll come up to me and um, for a conversation. And it's generally always spiritual. Um, like, and there's a, a worker friend down at um, the local Woolworth, and he's a Muslim, so we always he's always asking me my views on things. And it's just amazing how God will bring people to you uh, with the food outreach. Most of my contacts for um, Yarra Valley Church have come from there, um, which is amazing. I haven't been able to go door to door very much, and it. There's many blessings that have come from that. Um, one guy has been going through quite a lot, um, but he ended up coming to church a few times when church was operating. And he does attend Zoom church occasionally. And for Friday nights, they have a bit of a get-together and he joins in on those as well. So there is quite a few blessings that I had to, um, through these ministries. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Well, Christian, it's been great to have you here on the show this morning and to share your testimony and your story. It is certainly a story that needs to be shared, and I encourage mm. you to share it whenever and wherever you possibly can. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks, guys. God bless. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.